All right. Oh, I want this guy. Good morning, Reach Church. All right, so if kids want to head to Reach Kids, they can do that now. Happy Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. <laughs> that was a very disappointing happy thing, uh, Palm Sunday, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, you're not used to doing that. You're used to doing that with Casey, so uh, I threw you off on that. Uh, yeah, so this week, uh, we are looking at Palm Sunday. We're looking at um, what is one of the kind of historical events of the church found in all four Gospels. This is one of the main stories of Christ. Uh, that Jesus, one week before the Passover, one week before his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection, um, he rides in on a donkey, comes to his people, they wave palm branches, all that stuff. All right, so uh, why should we care about Palm Sunday? Uh, I'm going to kind of uh, shape it this way, that Palm Sunday is kind of a microcosm of the Christian life and of what Jesus came to do. Ultimately, Jesus came to restore worship as the king of peace and salvation. He came to restore worship as the king of peace and salvation. And we've been talking about all these God-sized questions, and this is kind of the, the swirling of all the elements that we've been talking about. We talked about the, the purpose of man, to glorify and enjoy God forever. All right, we talked about how we are saved by nothing but Jesus. It's always the work of Jesus, nothing that we do. We talked about the call of sanctification and how we do it out of joy and freedom, out of worship. We talked about freedom from suffering because the king is going to come and he's going to make all things right. All, right, all those elements are, are together here on Palm Sunday as Jesus rides in. And so uh, today we're going to look at kind of the the triumphal entry and, and what it means, kind of the themes involved there. But then we're going to look at, at three more triumphal entries. That it's not enough that Jesus just rides in on a donkey. That didn't actually do much. Uh, we're going to see how that kind of kingship is established and how he does actually win over the worship of his people uh, by, by multiple triumphal entries and, and restoring worship. So uh, let's turn to Matthew 21. Verses 1 through 17. Matthew 21. Matthew's going to be this, uh, this first book of your New Testament. We're going to read uh, 1 through 17. Waiting for the Russells. All right, there we go. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple 
and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that when you came to us, you came riding a donkey, that you came as the king of, of peace and salvation. And Father, I ask that we would join in the celebration. We ask that we would have hearts that would want to sing Hosanna day in and day out because we have seen Jesus, the, the king who, who gives us a reason to worship. Father, would you, would you make our hearts love Jesus? Would we enjoy him? Would we worship him and delight in him more than anything else? Father, we cannot do that. Um, we even hope to do that without your spirit. So we ask you to fill us up. Give us what we need to, to see your word rightly and in, in not just truth, but in, in spirit. Father, would you help us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first we're going to look at just this event and, and what it means. So Jesus comes in. Uh, this is not an accidental thing. Uh, Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. All right, now that doesn't mean anything to us, but uh, this is the equivalent uh, of if Jesus came in, uh, or if, if you came in, let's say, uh, we'll make Steve McCurran. If Steve McCurran, if he drove into Washington, D.C., in a, in a motorcade full of, full of limousines with American flags on them and, and policemen and sirens, and he went up to the state capitol building and started giving a speech, and the whole nation came up and, and wanted to hear it, and the news stations are like, you would, you'd think, I think Steve McCurran might be president. All right, that's, that's, just, that's just how it goes. If you're giving an inaugural speech, if you're coming in this way, you're president. All right, when Jesus is coming in, riding on a donkey, all right, he's not just passing through. This is a, this is a ritual. It's a symbolic thing that where he is coming in as the king. And in that culture, that's how the king was anointed. That the people would cheer, the people would, would throw their cloaks on the ground. He's riding in, proclaiming that he is, he is the king, the son of David, coming to the royal city. Now finally, finally, he is, seems to be uh, living what, what he's been calling, that, that he is the king, and everyone's finally seeing it. All right. So, what does it mean? What does it mean? Now it helps to see, uh, to see this quotation, Zechariah 9. So there's prophets of the Old Testament. They, they give predictions about Jesus. This one is from the book of Zechariah, and it talks about this very event. And it says that this king will come, and he will come to establish peace and salvation. The king of peace and salvation. Zechariah 9.10 goes like this. The whole passage is, is really beautiful, but um, I can't read it all. So first, he comes in the, the king of peace. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, the battle bow, the battle bow, excuse me, shall be cut off, 
He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That this king is going to come. He's going to establish a global reign where there is no more war anymore. There is, there is perfect peace forever. The peace that this king is bringing. It goes on to talk about how he will be the king of salvation. Verse 11, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. The prisoners of hope return to their strongholds. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. And he goes on to say, On that day the Lord will, will, God will save them as the flock of his people. For like, like the jewels of a crown, they will shine in his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. All right, that is the king that's coming in, the king of peace and of salvation, who's going to restore the captives, who's going to restore peace in the, in the land. He's proclaiming that all. Now, how do the people respond to this? All right, they respond as they should respond. They respond proclaiming, and the clouds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. All right, now what does that mean, Hosanna? This is one of those words that in the Bible is left untranslated. I don't know why we have words like that, but uh, it's just to make sure that, that the people who've been around a long time um, feel smart. We can throw them a bone sometimes. No, uh, Hosanna, that means, it used to mean uh, save us. In the full Hebrew, it means save us. And it was a cry out to the Lord. But when the Lord does save, it kind of takes this, this other meaning. And instead of saying save us, this plea to God, it becomes an exclamation to him. And they're crying out salvation. That salvation belongs to the king of the son of David. That salvation in the highest. That God has, has saved his people. To some extent, they are understanding this prophecy. They are understanding who Jesus is, that salvation has come. And that praise, that, that worship, that joy, is infectious. And it starts rumbling through the city. It says that the, the city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus the, of Nazareth of Galilee. All right, it's a fun word, the stirring. It's like... This is the same word that's used in earthquakes in other parts of Scripture, that the whole city is shaken up by the praise and by this king coming. All right, every time Jesus comes as king, he, he shakes the foundation. We're going to see this theme throughout. And they answer, they tell people, it's Jesus. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one who's coming. Now, I think oftentimes we stop there. We stop with uh, Jesus coming into the city but then we forget that he actually comes to the city to do something. Uh, he doesn't just ride in and then ride out. Uh, no, he has a plan here. And then every single time uh, this story is told, it doesn't just have his triumphal entry. He's going somewhere. He's going to the temple. He's going to the temple. This is all about worship. That when the king comes, he calls for the people to worship. And they're worshiping now, but then he goes into the temple and he calls them to worship more. He entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, 
but you have made it a den of robbers. All right, whenever a king steps in, he gets to do his, his first inaugural act. Whenever a president does that, it, it speaks into what his kingdom is all about. And Jesus, he goes into his kingdom and he restores worship in the temple. Now, there's a negative side to that. He kicks out all of the false worship. He cleanses it. And he throws out two sets of people. He throws out the money changers, and he throws out those selling pigeons. Uh-oh. <laughs> those pigeons. You know, the pigeon sales are, are, are terrible. So uh, why does he do that? Why do we care? All right, this is the the religious system that has been set up in the day. And it may seem like a stupid system, but it's still in, in place in, in many churches. This is kind of the religious ritual that surrounds the worship of God. And there's this expectation that if you're going to come, if you're going to come, you better have something in your pocket. And there's this idea that you, in some sense, buy the worship of God. And the worship of God is this exchange where I, I give and then the Lord gives back. And there's a system that kind of reinforces that. There's a sacrificial system. And that when you come, you are not good enough. And you don't deserve to be there. And so you better buy some pigeons. You better buy some blood to, to wash your hands before you get to worship. Now Jesus comes in and he overthrows that system. The system that says that, that you're not good enough to be here, the system that says that you, you buy your way in, that there's some people on the religious top who rule over this thing, and they get to, they get to lord it over everyone else. All right, Jesus makes a whip and gets those people out of there. And then he goes on, and what does he do? What does he do to replace those people? Verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So he kicks out the people who are good, who look like the, the religious people, the good, nice, clean people, and who does he bring in? He brings in the blind and the lame, who actually aren't even allowed in the temple. But he invites them in, he invites them into the house of prayer, that those are the kind of people he wants worshiping. Those are the people who deserve to be standing in the temple praising the Lord. Right, that's a very big deal. That's something that's unique when Jesus comes. Now, how, do the, how does the religious establishment, how do they react to this? Verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And he said to them, do you not hear what they are saying? Or they said to him, excuse me, do you not hear what they are saying? They're offended. They're offended about all this. And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared, had prepared phrase, praise? Excuse me, I'm like super tongue-tied today. Ooh, ah, ah, all right. And leaving them, he went out of the city into Bethany and lodged there. All right. Unfortunately, there's a way of telling this story that is kind of the conventional way. And the conventional way of telling the story is that the crowds 
were kind of insincere. And that the crowds, they wanted a king and they wanted to establish their kingdom. And so most interpreters kind of like throw these, the crowds under the bus and say like, yeah, yeah, they're worshiping now, but they're not going to be worshiping later. Or they misunderstand the promises of God. They're, they're not really worshiping as they should be. They should be worshiping in their hearts, or they should be worshiping that Jesus is going to save them from sin. Instead, they're just worshiping that, that their kingdom's going to come and they're going to have joy. All right, I don't think that's a very good interpretation. These people, they're not focused on themselves. They're focused on Jesus. And the promise is that salvation would come, that peace would come, that the kingdom is going to be established. And they should be excited that the physical kingdom is going to come because it will. All right, who are the people who are called out in this story? It's not the crowd. It's not the crowd for being too excited and being too selfish in their worship. No, it's the Pharisees. The Pharisees are called out for their lack of faith, that they are seeing these miraculous things happening. They're seeing salvation and deliverance given to people. They are seeing kind of the outcast come in and healed and restored, and they are not believing it, and they are not worshiping. All right, that's the thing that's condemned in this story. He's not condemning the insincere worshipers. He's condemning the, those who fail to worship when they see the king and who see that the beauty of what's happening around them, and they just are, are callous to it. And I realized that, like, in my own heart, I was, like, hope, I, was, I was rooting against the crowds, and I was like a Pharisee, that I wanted to bash their worship. And that's just a sign that, like, all right, I'm not, I'm not connected to the joy here. And I want to bring down the worship, just like the, the heart of the Pharisee. But Jesus does not condemn them. Jesus calls them to the, the infants and the babes in the kingdom. This is a beautiful thing to worship the Lord, to worship their king, to lift them up. So that's what the triumphal entry is. It's the king come as the king of peace and salvation to restore worship as it should be, to kind of get rid of the barriers that keep the people from worshiping God freely and enjoying Jesus and seeing and having their king. If that's the whole story, uh, I'd be pretty disappointing. Because this is not the only kind of worship that needs to be restored. This is not the only way that Jesus needs to be king. And so now we're going to look at some kind of parallel stories that kind of flesh out what Jesus is doing here. This is a symbolic action that has so many more implications. So uh, there is not just a temple on earth at that time. Hebrews tells us there is a temple in heaven. There is a temple in heaven. There is a place of worship in heaven. And just like there were barriers to getting to the temple in, on earth, like you couldn't be lame, you couldn't be blind, you had to come with money, you had to come with your pigeon, there's the same barriers in the temple of heaven. But these are actually far worse barriers. All right, we have enemies trying to keep us out of that temple. We have the reality of sin and death and Satan himself standing at the doors accusing us. These are the Pharisees condemning us, holding us to the law, saying that, saying that we are not allowed in. 
Right? There's another barrier. There is the reality of where we stand with God. And that, yes, we are, we are riddled with sin. We are impure. We are not holy. And Jesus might say, yeah, come on into the earthly temple, but something needs to be done. Something's bigger than just restoring us or giving us a solution to suffering. No, we need to be cleansed. That if we're going to make it into the heavenly temple, something has to be done. And so Jesus has his second triumphal entry. His second kind of walking in as the king. And this time, this time he's not the king sitting on the donkey. He is the king on the cross. He is the king on the cross. And he comes as the king. And he goes before the courts. And what do they do? They, they put a crown of, of thorns on his head. They wrap him in a, in a purple cloak. And they beat him calling him and mocking him as the king. If you're the king, save yourself. And then this time, instead of walking up to Jerusalem, this time Jesus walks down, naked and ashamed, walking to this place of the skull. And there, hanging on the cross, with a sign that says, the king of the Jews over his head, he was anointed as, as the king of the cross. Now, that was a triumphal entry. It was a triumph. Because in that moment, he was taking on sin and death. He was restoring us to the Father. He was giving us peace with the Father. He was giving us salvation from death and sin. He was being, being the king for us, the king that we desperately needed. And how did, he, how did he restore the worship then? In each of these parables, we see he has, he has this triumphal entry, but then he cleanses the temple. So we're told in Hebrews that, that Jesus, in his death, he was, he was paying the penalty. He was the sacrifice of the heavenly temple that is going into the heavenly temple and paying the price for us that he was washing us clean so we could be the holy ones walking in. We could be the blind and the lame, the spiritually blind and the lame walking into the temple of God. That's what Jesus was doing. And he's breaking down the barriers of sin and ritual and sacrifice and inviting us in. Now we said that each time he did this, there's, a, there's an earthquake. This time there was an earthquake too. There, the ground shook and the curtain, the curtain that divided us in the temple that made sure there was a barrier between the people of earth and the God of heaven, that curtain tore in two. And in Hebrews 10, we see this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. 
He's calling us and drawing us into worship. And he's saying, every barrier that was going to keep you out of the heavenly temple, everything that was, was a barrier between you and God, no, go. Go enter in. Go to the house of prayer. Go enjoy God. Go worship him. Celebrate. Say Hosanna. Cry out Hosanna. Cry out salvation belongs to the king of peace and salvation. Amen? All right. All right, that's just number two. There are two more. All right. All right, the story continues. So, Jesus' second triumphal entry. He resurrects from the dead, and he becomes the king of glory. The king of glory. So he's risen from the dead, and then he rises up, his ascension into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God. This is his, his true deserved kingship that this was kind of the mock kingship. But then he is resurrected to glory. And he's sitting at the right hand of God above every ruler and power and authority. He is now established as our king. And he is ruling in the heavens. He is for us. He is fighting for us. He is orchestrating all things. All right, and then we ask, okay, how then, how is he cleansing the temple now? How is he drawing us into worship? All right, once again, this work would not be enough. And so Jesus, Jesus to, to draw us into worship, he goes into the temple of human hearts. The temple of human hearts that we are all worshipers at core. And we have a temple within us, and we worship and we idolize and we love and we delight in things. And Jesus comes in by the Holy Spirit, and he cleanses the temple. If Jesus didn't do that, no one would ever come to him. This work of the cross would have been meaningless without the work of the Spirit applying it to us. And now Jesus, as king, comes to us and calls us to obey and to love him and to worship him. And he cleanses our hearts of the idolatry and of the sin and the things that are killing us and, and ruining our lives and robbing us of joy. These barriers that keep us from him. That's the work that Jesus is doing now. That is the, the way he's drawing us into worship. All right, I'd ask us, like, are we, are we enjoying Jesus? Are we... Are we delighting in nothing but Jesus in our hearts? Are we receptive to him working in us and cleansing the temple that's inside of us? Hebrews says, says this, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. He's saying, just remain in Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. Keep falling in love with Jesus. Like, keep worshiping and delighting in Jesus. That is going to be the power of our sanctification. That's what we talked about last week. And we talked about how that's a painful process. All right, there's always an earthquake here. All right, Jesus will rock the foundations of your life. But he will give you worship. And he'll give you more and more delight in him. That's the work that he's doing right now. All right, justification, sanctification, both.
We don't have one without the other. But finally, finally, one more. One more triumphal entry. All right, this first triumphal entry, Jesus came riding a donkey. He came riding a donkey as a symbol of, of the peace and salvation he was offering. All right, there will be another triumphal entry, but this time Jesus will be riding a white horse. He'll be coming as, as the king of glory. He'll be coming as, as the king of, of justice and the king of war. And we see this picture, Revelation 19.11. Then I saw heaven open to behold a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and his thigh, he has a name written on it, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the last triumphal entry of Jesus. And this time, he doesn't come as the King of peace and salvation. He comes as the, as the God of justice, the King of justice. And I want to remind us, and I want to warn us that If we are not covered by the healing of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, if we are not filled with the spirit of Jesus, if our lives have not come under the worship of Jesus, that Jesus who came riding on a donkey, then we will not be able to stand when he comes riding his white horse. So I would call you, I would plead you, I would beg you to, to receive the Jesus riding on a donkey to receive him in the peace and salvation that he offers. That you may celebrate and say Hosanna. If you don't say Hosanna, then there's nothing else to save you but your own blood. That there's always a payment. And so I, I beg you to, to cry Hosanna. Cry save me so that in the end you can say salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, once you have said that, once you have said that, there should be no fear at this coming. That if you are in Jesus, when he comes, he will come as faithful and true. That is his name for us. Faithful and true. That he will keep the promises. And that all those physical things that were promised, a, a peaceful kingdom, salvation forever, like they will be given to us. The foundations of the earth will shake and we will be restored to worship and we will delight in him for all eternity. That's where we're headed. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's, let's learn to say Hosanna. Let's learn to receive him as the king of the, the donkey and the cross and the spirit. And let's look forward to him coming when he brings justice. Amen? Amen. All right. Any questions? Yeah, we're, we're, we can still do questions. Yeah.
Oh, uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. So, is this going to be thing that something that everyone will see, uh, or some going to miss it? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I can't say. Uh, it says he's going to come on the cloud, so he'll be pretty high, so more people will be able to see him. Um, I think we'll know, and that's where like the heavens will be rendered in, in pieces. The the earth will shake, like, I think we'll all get the memo pretty soon when he's coming. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. And, and we want to make sure that we're ready for that. And we can say with sincere hearts, like, I'm ready, I'm not scared for that day. I'm, I've, been, I've been waiting. There's so many parables about that. Yeah. Any other questions? Question. Yep, Norma. We can do that. Yeah, I think that like a sermon is a great opportunity. All right. Norma is going to be up here. Yes, like, and that's where, like, this is not something, like, Presbyterians like to do this thing where it's like, everyone, sometimes they do this. They like, close your eyes and, like, put your hand up so no one can see you. It's like, no, if you make that decision, like, that's a public thing. You're, you're a whole new person. Your whole life has changed. So, like, if you come to faith in Jesus, like, please tell someone. Please tell me. I would love to know. Uh, so that you can be equipped to, to do that. Like, yes, absolutely. So that we can celebrate with the angels in heaven who are celebrating the party that's going on. We, and we might miss that, which would be very disappointing as well. So, uh, and, and please don't think, like, oh, I need to, like, wait for God to choose me. No, like, Run to him, cry out to him, cry Hosanna, and be saved. If you do that, the Holy Spirit has enabled it. Don't wait for the Holy Spirit to, to like, subvert your will. No, do it. Do it and enjoy, enjoy the freedom of this and worship. Absolutely. Angela. Right. Uh, yeah, so what keeps the, the Pharisees from coming? That's a really good question. There's a lot of reasons. Um, one would be pride, that they, they don't think that they need to be saved, and they don't think that they're doing anything wrong. Why would someone need to die for their sins? Um, another would be fear of man. It says that, that, that some of the Pharisees believed in Jesus, but they are too scared to say it because they would lose their positions and their place in society. That they are on the top, and to, to follow Jesus means they go back to the bottom. And they have to realize that this whole spiritual life, they have to start all over again. And they're going to be cast out of the synagogues and the temple. Um, but ultimately, I'd say it's hard-heartedness. They, uh, that, that's a hard-heartedness, that they, they, are, they are blind, they are deaf, and they want to be that way, and they are remain that way. 
Um, some Pharisees are, are given sight, and they're given the ability to hear. Um, the Spirit does enable them to, to choose and to come. Um, but there's a lot of reasons that are given there, both, both on like the sovereignty of God's side and the, the human responsibility and free will side. Yeah. He was a young rebel. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one that he, he condemns them for, for following their traditions and not the not the real law, not actually following the, the heart of God. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, what was Jesus' emotional state as he's, he's cleansing the temple? Um, Jesus does get angry. He does get angry. And actually, uh, the Bible doesn't say to never get angry. It actually it calls us to get angry when it's proper to get angry. And so when we see things like injustice and oppression and lies and people just being utterly destroyed by, by falsehood, like, we should get angry. And we're not called to sin in that. We're not allowed to then sin against people. But Jesus does get angry. He gets, he gets mad at the unbelief and the, the hypocrisy of people. So I think, yes, he's, he's very angry that this system that's supposed to bring great joy, the worship of his Father, has been turned into a money-making scheme and a way of of kind of devaluing everyone who isn't good enough to, to pay the temple tax. Yeah. Any other questions? All right, let's pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you that Jesus is the, the king of, of worship, that he restores us to worship, and he does it by peace and salvation. Father, I ask that you would give us great joy great joy in following and worshiping Jesus. Father, would this day be um, a reminder of the salvation that we have? And now that we, we can kind of enter into your spiritual temple, I ask that we would do so even now with great joy. Would you help us to celebrate? And Father, we, we long for the day when we stand before Jesus riding on that white horse and we see all these promises come to pass and we see you face to face. Would we live for that day? And would you give us the faith to, to endure until that day comes? We pray in Jesus' name.